There'll be no guests this week as it's March. And March, as many of you know, is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey with colon cancer and how you can help yourself and others around you. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 314 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. And now more than ever, thank you so much for telling a friend. I'm going to share my journey with colon cancer, and we'll talk about how early detection can save your life or the life of a family member or a friend. I do very few monologue-style episodes, but once a year, as a colon cancer survivor myself, I share my journey, hoping it will get at least one person to get screened. Let's start with a resource that helped me and one I support. The Colorectal Cancer Alliance can be found at colorectalcanceralliance.org. The mission of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance is to empower a nation of allies who work with us to provide support for patients and families, caregivers and survivors to raise awareness of preventative measures and inspire efforts to fund critical research. I leaned heavily on the Colorectal Cancer Alliance in 2012 and 2013 when I was going through my journey. And I thought this year I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read the blog post that I published in the Phoenix Real Estate Guy blog, which at that time was owned by Jay Thompson. There's eight of them. They are short. And I, I hope you'll be able to listen to these, gather some information. Maybe you know somebody who's going through this process currently, or it will help you understand how important it is to get screened early and detect this number three cancer killer early, because if detected early, we're talking a 94% survival rate. So let's get started. Episode one from August 23rd, 2012, titled Three Words You Don't Want to Hear. It is cancer. Three words, three life-changing words. According to the American Cancer Society, there will be 1,638,910 new cancer cases in 2012. Break that down daily, and 4,552 people each and every day will hear those words. Wednesday, August 22nd, was my day to hear those three words. Here's a look at my week. On Monday, I visited a gastroenterologist for my first colonoscopy. I turned 50 last year, so I knew this screening was necessary. I'd put it off, but at my annual physical a couple months ago, Dr. D chided me for not getting it done. He gave me a couple referrals. I picked one and set up the exam for the first day of my vacation. I'd heard all the horror stories about the prep work necessary, and I was not looking forward to it. But much to my surprise, the toughest part of the prep was no solid food the day before. I opted for Osmo Prep pills rather than the chalky drinks no one seemed to like. 32 pills and a few trips to the bathroom, and I was ready for my appointment. Other than the IV insertion, I'm a bit of a needle-phobe, the appointment was simple. I was sedated just prior to the exam and woke up quickly in the recovery area. Propofol is an incredible drug. Dr. T came in to discuss what he found. Two polyps were removed and an ulcer was found in the sigmoid colon. He didn't think it was serious, but he grabbed tissue samples and wanted them checked at the lab. He told Cindy and I he would call with the test results in a couple days. Everyone can remember where they were when major events occurred in the world. Reagan's shooting, the Challenger explosion, or the Twin Towers falling. All bring back vivid memories of where you were or what you were doing. 
On a personal scale, the same thing happens. I will never forget answering the phone as I drove up the Gilbert Road off-ramp from the Southern Loop 202. It was Dr. T. We have the test results back, said Dr. T. I replied, okay. After a slight pause, he said, it is cancer. For me, there was no wave of fear, no feeling of nausea, no flood of tears. It was a desire to ask questions and find out what I had to do next. Fortunately, Dr. T did not feel I needed immediate treatment. His office would schedule a CT scan the following Monday. This is important as it will determine what stage my cancer is in, or to put it another way, if it is localized or has spread. Then his office would schedule a surgery consult with a colorectal surgeon. There definitely will be surgery. I mentioned my upcoming trip next week with Cindy to New York for the U.S. Open. He insisted we go. Let's get the scan done before you leave, and we'll get you in with the surgeon when you get back. The lack of a sense of urgency was calming. I sat for a moment deciding who to call first, my wife or my son. I opted to call Kev first since I wasn't totally sure how I would handle myself during the call, and I wanted to practice with Kev before I called Cindy. It went very well, and Kev, much like his old man, wanted the facts and details. The call to Cindy was just as smooth. What do we do next and let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's follow the plan, stay positive, get to the other side. She left work to come be with me the rest of the day. I told her she didn't need to, but I'm really glad she did. So why this post on the Phoenix real estate guy? One, I know Jay. He likes stories about life as much as he likes posts about escrow. He also hates cancer with a passion and I like riling him up. Secondly, this is a great platform to get the message out to all of you over 50 that have put off getting scoped. Why wait? Colon cancer, when detected early, has one of the highest cure rates. I've heard this many times, and I know you have as well, but I still waited over a year to get my colonoscopy done. If you're reading this in under 50, think of family and friends that need to get screened and ask them to go get it done. Finally, I would like to let everyone out there know one more thing. The three words that matter most to me right now, I will win. Episode 2, Top 10 Takeaways from Colon Cancer Surgery, September 26, 2012. In last month's post, I described my feelings and experience when you hear the news that the diagnosis is cancer. Since then, I've had a colon resection, or in regular speak, they cut out about 6 inches of my colon to remove the affected area and then reattached the two ends. Colon is good as new. Below is my top 10 list of takeaways as a surgery newbie. Yep, 51 years old and I had never been admitted to a hospital before. For some of you, my list may seem obvious. For any surgery virgins out there, keep this handy for your inevitable first time. Number 10. The surgical staff at Banner Desert Hospital is awesome. I have no other staff to compare my surgery and recovery crew to, but I can't imagine there is a better team out there. From check-in to pre-op to recovery, they were amazing. Number 9. Let the student nurse insert your IV. While getting prepped for surgery, the nurse introduced me to Melanie, a nursing student from ASU. Go Devils! The nurse asked me if I minded if Melanie inserted my IV. I hate needles as much as anyone, but I figured why not get a little good karma working my way and let her practice on me. Other than a little blood that spurted on her and the floor, she did a great job. Number eight, phlebotomists are modern day vampires. No one told me how much blood is drawn during a hospital stay in recovery. I made it to my hospital room at 8 p.m. on Friday, and by midnight Monday, no less than 12 blood draws were taken. Worst of all, it seems that most draws occurred between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Why that time? Easy, the phlebotomists are vampires. A vial for the lab, a vial for them. Combine that with the insane number of draws and it makes perfect sense. Number seven, hyperextending your elbow during a blood draw makes it way easier. 
While I'm on the topic, one kind, gentle, middle-aged, non-vampire phlebotomist gave me a great tip about keeping my arm as straight as possible during the draw. It was amazing how much it helped. I will forever remember her tip and attempt to hyperextend my elbow every time a vampire phlebotomist comes near me. Number six, walks around the nurse's station can get competitive. Regardless of how much you hurt, if another patient is taking a walk at the same time, you become possessed to complete your lap faster than them. It just happens. Number five, time can stand still the first few days after surgery. This one is unreal. A large clock is across the room from your bed. It is not your friend. I would wake up, look at the clock, and the time was 1.15 a.m. I would fall back asleep into what felt like a deep sleep and then wake up, look at the clock, and the time was 1.20 a.m. This happened more times than I can remember. Number four, hospitals are for sick people. Get up and recuperate ASAP. Enough said. Number three, much like building a business relationship, create bonds with the nursing staff. It helps. Why wouldn't you want a good working relationship with the people that can make you more comfortable? Banner Desert nurses were incredible. Number two, pain pumps rock. As soon as I was able to understand how the pain pump worked, it became my little friend. When the light turned green, all I had to do was push it for a little morphine in the drip. If offered, always accept the pain pump. And finally, number one, there is nothing better than seeing your spouse come through the door. I told my wife prior to surgery that I did not want her holding a vigil in my hospital room. If I was sleeping, take advantage of the time to get home and get some rest or take care of things she needed to do. I told her I had around-the-clock care, so I'd be fine. However, to be honest, on the rare occasion she was not there when I woke up, I really wished she was. Update. My surgery was Friday, September 14th. Monday night, September 17th, Dr. Buckmeyer dropped by with a pathology report. He was able to grab 15 lymph nodes near the cancer site. Nine tested positive for cancer. It only takes one. Much like I knew surgery was going to happen when I heard the words, it is cancer, after the colonoscopy, I knew immediately that chemotherapy was the next step. No ifs, ands, or buts. That process starts this week with oncologist appointments. I will be interviewing at least two, maybe more. From my doctors and cancer survivors I've talked to, I'm looking at treatment that lasts something in the six-month range. Bring it on. Episode 3. Therapy treatment begins October 23rd, 2012. Let's do a quick recap. August 20th, routine colonoscopy because I'm 51. Find a lesion, sent to lab for testing. August 22nd, doctor calls and says it is cancer. August 29th, take wife to U.S. Open in New York City for our 25th anniversary because doctor said it was okay to go. September 14th, Get colon resection surgery to remove cancer and part of my colon. September 17th, told by surgeon it is stage 3B cancer and I will need to see an oncologist. September 25th, meet Dr. Mendonca, my oncologist. She says, you are a very lucky man. October 18th, get PET scan, positron emission tomography with radioactive sugar water. October 19th, get power port installed in my left chest. That brings me to today, October 23rd my first of 12 therapy treatments to rid my body of cancer. I know it's chemotherapy. I also know everyone calls it chemo. I am choosing to use the other part of the word and call it therapy. Why not? Cindy and I arrived at the doctor's office for my 10 a.m. appointment. First, we met with Dr. Mendonca. She confirms the PET scan did not show anything abnormal, which is good. A quick look at my surgery scars, and we head on over to the lounge. It is filled with patients. One woman is knitting. Another woman is sleeping. Many are reading. I do not see a single laptop until mine comes out of the backpack. Really good Wi-Fi and lots of power outlets. It will be easy to get a lot of work done here. 
As a newbie, it's easy to spot the veterans. They arrive, grab a seat, and easily strike up a conversation with the nurses. That will be me soon. The nurses here are awesome. They sit and visit patients, discussing their treatment or asking how their family is doing. I'm going to like it here. Diane, one of the nurses, comes over to me to say hi and get my therapy started. A special needle is jabbed through my chest into the port. Just a little pinch and it's in. Cool. I will have this connected to the port in my chest for 48 hours. More on that later. First, I receive a couple different medications to help with nausea. After that, it's time for part one of my cocktail. It's a combination of oxaliplatin and leucovorin. It takes a couple hours for this part of the treatment. Part two has to be infused slowly. That's why I have to stay connected for 48 hours. It's a drug called 5-FU or fluoracil. This requires a pump or party ball, as the nurses call it, to be installed. This rubber ball will be attached and pump five milliliters an hour into me until empty. Cindy and I are still trying to come up with the right way to carry this around. One suggestion from Lou in Idaho is to get a chalk bag from REI. These are used by rock climbers and they connect to your belt and are the perfect size for the pump. Lou knows this because she went through the exact same therapy treatment a few years ago and is still cancer-free. Two days later, I return to the office to have the empty party ball removed. The above therapy will happen 11 more times, every other week until we are done. It looks like I will get a break Thanksgiving week as no one will be around on Thanksgiving Day to remove my party ball. I'm fine with the week off. The toughest part of therapy is yet to come. I've discussed the side effects with Dr. Madonsa and the nurses in the lounge. No hair loss, but maybe some thinning. I can handle that. Possible nausea, but with today's meds, it is totally controllable. Neuropathy, though, is highly likely. Tingling, numbness, sensitivity to cold, and even pain in the hands, feet, arms, and legs are the main symptoms of neuropathy. There is also an overall malaise that many people experience on this regimen, but everyone's different. I like knowing what may or may not happen. I also believe a positive attitude can make a difference. It really is a simple choice, like choosing to call my treatment therapy. Episode 4, Chemo and Caffeine, a true story, November 20th, 2012. Last month, I covered my first visit to the infusion center. Today, I would like to tell a story that just might help others caught in the same position down the road. The list of possible side effects from my treatment is long. Fatigue, muscle ache, nausea, neuropathy, constipation, diarrhea, both, huh? Etc. The list goes on and on. So when I found myself extremely tired with a killer headache right after my first session, I chalked it up to the therapy. A little nausea was handled with the meds supplied by my oncologist. I was expecting these symptoms to last a day or two based on conversations with the staff at the oncology center, as well as past colon cancer patients. Seven days later, I still was not right. That's when it hit me. It being the enormous amount of diet soda I consumed daily over the past couple decades. Due to the immediate onset of neuropathy right after my first therapy session, I could not drink any cold drinks without experiencing a severe scratching sensation as I swallowed. So I went from roughly 600 milligrams of caffeine a day to zero on the same day I had my first treatment. Combine that with the fact that I had never tried to kick the caffeine habit before, and it's easy to see that I attributed all of my distress to the chemotherapy. Unfortunately, I do not like hot caffeinated drinks, no coffee or tea. Either one of these would have prevented my caffeine withdrawal symptoms. Now, this is usually where the lectures about the evils of diet soda start. Trust me, I've heard them all. I've had a total of one can of soda, room temperature, since October 23rd. I have consumed more water in the last two and a half weeks than in the last two and a half months. I'm going to use my therapy as an opportunity to rid myself of the diet soda habit. As for the caffeine, I'm now taking about 250 milligrams a day to keep me level. 
I will also wean myself off caffeine eventually. It is just not prudent to try to do it at the same time therapy begins. My takeaway, I will always ask anyone heading down the chemotherapy path the following question. Is your caffeine consumption primarily from cold drinks? If the answer is yes, then they need to be warned about neuropathy side effects and caffeine withdrawal and to be prepared to supplement caffeine when treatment begins. In fact, if you're reading this post, you can now issue the same warning. Therapy update. As I type this, I'm about a week removed from therapy session number two. The symptoms were much more manageable with some caffeine in my system. Neuropathy and fatigue are my main issues. There is a cumulative effect as the treatments continue, so we will have to wait and see if the recovery period starts to lengthen. A quick tale from the infusion center. At every therapy session, I have to hang out at the infusion center for three and a half to four hours. I get a comfortable recliner, Wi-Fi power, and roughly 12 to 15 comrades undergoing their own therapies. As you can imagine, it is quite a range of personalities. A few sleep during treatment, a couple like me bring laptops and iPads, still others sit and visit, but the most entertaining compadre so far was at my last session. We'll call him Ned. I have no idea what his real name is. Ned and his wife, Nadine, again made up, are probably in their late 60s, early 70s. He sat next to me and I cleared my stuff off the table between us to give him some room. Out came a portable DVD player. Good, I thought. I had work to do and I was afraid Ned would want to talk. So Ned gets hooked up. He's full of jokes and one-liners, some funny, others not so much. His wife and the nurse humored him, so all is well. Ned settles in to watch his movie, inserts his earphones, and upon starting the movie, does not realize he does not have the earphones completely plugged in. The entire infusion center was treated to a scene from, I think, The Untouchables for about 20 seconds. It took this long for Nadine to realize what Ned had done and to loudly bring it to his attention. I'm pretty sure Ned just thought the volume in his earbuds was kind of low. About a half hour later, Ned gets a phone call. It was his daughter. I know this because he loudly told Nadine so. (laughs) For the next five minutes, it felt like an SNL skit. I can't hear you or you are breaking up was interspersed among such gems as, I think I get three more gallons and then I'm out of here, infusion center humor, or don't put jalapenos on your salad this time. You know what that does to you. Fortunately, Ned did not detail what happens with the jalapenos. I like Ned and Nadine. Hopefully we share a session again in the future. Watch for more tales from the Infusion Center in future posts. Thanksgiving interrupted my schedule, so I get an additional week off. Fine with me. Maybe I can have a piece of cold pumpkin pie loaded with whipped cream. We'll see. Episode 5. It's about the people, not the cancer. December 27, 2012. Four down, eight to go. That's where I'm at in therapy. I'm often asked how I feel or how am I doing. A vast majority of the time, the answer is great. After four sessions, here's how I typically feel. Four hours or so at the infusion center, followed by 44 hours on a pump. I feel the most sluggish or tired the day after the pump is removed. Within three days, I'm back to 95%. 95% is the best I ever get to because I kind of always know there's something inside me fighting off the bad guys. I'm not complaining about 95%. I dig 95%. It's an A after all, right? Speaking of things I dig, the people I have crossed paths with on my journey have been amazing. I like to spend most of this post singing their praises. Before I get to them, I must again express my thanks to all my friends, co-workers, and social cohorts for their thoughts, prayers, and words of encouragement. Trust me, it makes a difference. Thank you. On therapy days, it starts at the front desk of my oncologist. The office staff really cares about each patient. I, I don't feel that same level of caring at my primary care doc. Sorry, Dr. D. It doesn't matter whether the patient is grumpy or gruff. The staff treats each one of us like we're the only patient of the day. It doesn't stop there. The medical assistants cheerfully get us ready for our appointment with our doctor or the infusion center. Then there are the infusion center nurses. After just one trip, they greeted me by name. 
I watched them do this over and over with other patients. Four hours in a recliner gives you a pretty good read on people. Every interaction with a patient is done gently with an extra dose of kindness. I can now recognize the therapy newbies as they arrive for the first time, reminding me of the first trip with Cindy. Prepared for the worst, hoping for the best. The nurses take a little extra care every time with the newbie as they begin their own therapies. I have spent more time in medical offices and hospitals since August 22nd than in my previous 51 years on this planet. It gives me a chance to watch, listen to, and meet lots of other patients. In my last post, I told the story of Ned and Nadine. I have another story to share, this time about George and Lillian. George and Lillian had to be in their mid to late 70s. I ran into them in the waiting room at the lab where I have to get blood drawn before each therapy session. Gotta keep the white cell count up. George, proudly wearing his Navy cap, uses a three-wheel electric scooter to get around. Whenever the front desk called for George, it was always George and Lillian. Lillian doted on George, making sure he did everything he was asked to do. When a urine sample was requested, Lillian led George into the restroom. When they returned to the waiting room, Lillian sat next to George and asked if he was cold. George slowly nodded his head in agreement. Lillian then asked him if he was tired. Again, George slowly nodded yes. Lillian then asked if he was hungry. Same slow acknowledgement. Then she said, are you George? He started to nod, then quickly stopped, did a double take, and then smiled at her. They were called back for the lab work. When they returned to the lobby, Lillian set about buttoning up George's jacket before they ventured out into the early morning cold. As she leaned in closer to get the last button, George slyly reached up and stole a kiss. There was only one other patient in the lobby, and we were both smiling as George and Lillian made their way out the door. This brings me to the most important people, the people that take care of you when you need it, pump you up when you're down, and tell you to take it easy when sudden bursts of energy appear out of the blue. My family has been the key for me. Without them, remaining positive and strong would be next to impossible. My wife has always taken care of me and our son. She's amazing. Over these last few months, she's been with me every step of the way. One day, 25 to 30 years from now, I know Cindy and I will have our own George and Lillian moment. I can't wait. Episode 6, Bumps in the Road, March 11th, 2013. After four months of therapy, I've hit a couple bumps in the road. Not entirely unexpected, but I was hoping to avoid them. The results of my last lab work showed a couple low numbers. Both my platelets and my white cell count are borderline low. My doctor told me this is normal and expected. She let me proceed with therapy number 9, but we were taking an extra week off before therapy 10. I'm totally cool with that. A bit of a break before the final quarter, an extra week of feeling strong, an extra week where I can have a cold beer or two, maybe, an extra week of getting my body ready. My new target date is Friday, April 12th. On that day, the final pump is removed and therapy is complete. My doctor also informed me of a nodule on my thyroid. It was discovered during one of my scans. She referred me to an endocrinologist. A biopsy was performed. By the way, this consists of jabbing two needles into the neck. Creepy. And the results came back benign. Awesome. Another bump passed. The final bump was the night before therapy number nine. Cindy and I were watching TV when I had one of my toughest moments yet. I told her I did not want to go to my next treatment. I told her I was tired of the coming fatigue, of carrying a pump for 48 hours, of the smells of therapy. She quietly listened, and after I finished venting, she asked if I was going to the center in the morning. She did not argue or plead or yell at me. She calmly asked if I was going. Yes, I responded. I've watched her do the exact same thing with our son since he could talk. Let him have his say. Get it out of his system. Without confrontation. Inevitably, he would realize what he needed to do. Now she was doing the same with me. 
There is no way I could have gotten this far without her. So onward we go. Three more. We will make it together. Episode 7. And down the stretch they come. March 29th, 2013. I love that call in the Kentucky Derby every spring. One day I will make it to Churchill Downs and be there live. Yep, it's on the bucket list. Bucket list. Hmm. File that away for a future post. I'm writing this post on March 27th. Today I started therapy number 11. After the pump comes off Friday, only one to go. If that ain't the home stretch, I don't know what is. So here's how things went today. Alex, I'll take best laid plans for 500. The answer is you can't have your treatment today. I buzz in with, what are my blood counts too low? <laughs> Correct. Crap. I have planned out my entire April and part of May on the assumption that the final treatment ends on Friday, April 12th. I have to have my treatment today. Dr. Mendonca, my rock star oncologist, and my wife, Cindy, calmly listened to me describe the seven appointments that will need to be canceled and the fact that I have the Sevrar golf tournament on Friday and I really, really want to be done on the 12th. Cindy reminds me that my health comes first and my therapy trumps anything else. She's right. I know it. I just don't want to accept it. Dr. Mendonca asked me about my worsening neuropathy. My feet feel as if the bottom half inch is numb, but the rest is extra sensitive. I know it makes no sense, so let's just say my feet are jacked up, and every time they touch anything like carpet, concrete, or the sheets, it does not feel good. A more recent development is in my hands. My fingers feel as if there is no blood flow to anything above the second knuckle. They are cold and they are super sensitive. Finally, I've not had any drink with ice since October 23rd due to the pain swallowing cold drinks. Dr. Mendonca suggested that we skip the oxaliplatin portion of my therapy. I have already taken 10 full doses, and by skipping at this time, I can get some neuropathy relief, and the low platelet and white blood cell counts are not as critical with the 5-FU drug on its own, and I can stay on track to finish on April 12th. Did I mention how much Dr. Mendonca rocks? So I sit here at home, instructed to avoid crowds due to my reduced immune response. That means a lot of work, fine-tuning my... Arizona Association of Realtors Spring Conference Power Sessions, and I can get some serious work done on an iBook I am developing for our commercial builder services team. It could be a whole lot worse. I'm sure I will continue posting here about my journey as long as Jay allows. After April 12th, I do not see my doctor for three months. They will do a scan and we will look at the results, hoping for a clean scan. One year post-surgery in early September, I will get a follow-up colonoscopy. Sidebar, if you're over 50, have you had your colonoscopy yet? What are you waiting for? Go. All of this continues in some fashion until we hit the magic five-year mark. I wish I could individually thank everyone that sent me a note, article, cookies, food of the month subscription, a bag full of healthy stuff to eat, thoughts, prayers, or just a kind word when we met in an event. I hope I thanked you at the time. You'll never know how much every one of these gestures helped me in keeping a positive attitude and pushed me through the initial uncertainty, the surgery, and finally my therapy. Lastly, there is no way I can get to this point without Cindy and Kev. Each has their own style. No need to detail them here. Let's just say they are both extremely effective. I love you two as big as the sky, and I'm so grateful you're in my life. And down the stretch I come. The finish line is in plain sight. Sweet. The final episode, episode 8, Elephants, Ants, and Gelato, May 14th, 2013. Finally, my therapy is complete. I have no more dates with the healing orb, no more accessing my port, no more lost days. I do have many things to come, scans every three months for the next year, a colonoscopy in September, a return to my regular exercise routine, and a dramatic change in my diet, all stuff I'm ready and prepared for. 
Eight months ago, the process I just finished seemed overwhelming. How do you do it? How do you eat an elephant? Most of you know the answer, one bite at a time. That philosophy was key for me and my family. Don't get too far ahead of things. Stay positive. Don't worry about things out of your control, one bite at a time. Oh yeah, and rely heavily on support from your army of ants. You know the ones, the ones that think they can move that rubber tree plant. You all know who you are. Your comments, calls, drop-bys, thoughts, and prayers were critical in keeping my attitude moving in the positive direction. I really wish I could name everyone that had a kind word or a hug or had a surprise show up in the mail or sat with me during a treatment or, well, you get the picture. As I've said in past posts, thank you for all of your help. I do want to name Dr. Doberson. He is my family practice doc that told me last summer to get your colonoscopy and I'll waive the prostate exam. Three weeks later, getting scoped quite possibly saved my life. Early detection is the key for colon cancer and a colonoscopy is not nearly as bad as it sounds. Do yourself and your loved ones a favor. If you're 50 plus, get scoped. If there's a history of colon cancer in your family, get your colonoscopy earlier. Check with your doctor to determine when your exams should begin. So why do I mention gelato in the title of this post? I had to give up gelato, more specifically frost gelato during my treatment. Neuropathy made it impossible to eat or drink anything cold. Each treatment put me another week closer to the moment I could visit Frost for my Alpencaramel tiramisu combo. Last week, that moment arrived. I felt like Norman Cheers as Cindy, Kev, Leah, and I walked into the shop. Hugs from the owners and lots of questions about how I was doing. More importantly, I enjoyed my first gelato in nearly six months. Having something as minor as my next gelato helped me keep going. My friends and colleagues from Phoenix and around the country were also important to my successful completion of my therapy regimen. Finally, my family was crucial. They took care of me, sat with me, put up with me and my down moments, and shared in my successes. Thank you for accompanying me on this journey via TPREG. Thanks, Jay, for sharing your platform. I would like to ask for one more favor. Do not be afraid and get your checkup. If the worst is found, attack that elephant Rely on your ants and find your gelato that keeps you moving to your own personal finish line. By the way, I'm here and I would be honored to help. Okay, that took a little longer than I thought, but I hope you were able to, to stick it out and listen with me and just kind of understand that journey that I went through, the things I discovered, um, and really, you know, just how important the right attitude and, and people around you that would support and, and push that attitude were just critical couple of things I want to mention. That age I talked about a lot in, in the post was 50 because back in 2012, it was at 50. It's now dropped to 45. And really, there's a, a higher incidence of colon cancer among younger people in their 20s and 30s. So any sort of history has to be you know, looked for earlier. So if you've got a history in your family, please check with your doctor. My, my guess is that those scans will be coming a lot sooner than say 35. They could be as early as 30. So really important that you follow there. I'll wrap this up with, with a plea or a request, and that is please celebrate National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month by making a gift to provide access to high-quality screenings, care for patients and families, navigating their own colorectal cancer journeys, and research to find a cure to end this disease in our lifetime. Your gift will be matched by a generous corporate partner so you can make twice the difference this month. I've added a link that'll take you directly to the donate page. And of course, any amount helps. So thank you so much for listening this far. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my own personal journey with you. And I really hope 
that we're able to touch someone or even a few people to go ahead and get that scope. Remember, if discovered early, colorectal cancer has a 94% survival rate. And if they don't find anything, that's even better. And once again, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with another guest. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.